We are back at the 443 Podcast. Thank you for joining us. As usual, my name is Matt, and I'm joined with Reese. Pack show, Matt. Pack show today. A uh, bunch of big results. Arsenal 5-0 th- uh, throttling. Uh, Tottenham scraping by on Friday. But, Matt, dude, there's only one place to start. And that's the Manchester Derby, which we just finished up watching. Early reactions to that, to that game, man. What is happening to Manchester United? <laughs> Like I saw a team out there that didn't have anything. Like I was, I thought Harry Maguire was one of their top two players. I have two two things in that, at least in the first half that I noticed with United. Uh, one, I, they more, they played more of like a zone press uh, against City uh, in in their back line, and it made it a little bit of tu- a little mm-hmm. bit tough for City to break down in that first fifteen minutes. There was a couple mm-hmm. of errors from from Guardiol, uh, from Stones, but dude. I don't know what the purpose of playing McDonald's, or, sorry, McTominay, uh, as a second striker is. Uh, I just, I, I feel like if you're going to do that, you might as well have Mount or at least Fernandez playing in behind him for that press. I think maybe Mount's not 100% ready to come back. Right. Um, and I think they were having Fernandez be more in the box-to-box style to try and create disruption. Yeah. Like, he, the only thing I think he's good at. Okay. What about what were your thoughts on the the Manchester United starting lineup first reaction when you saw that defense? I didn't get to know even that what was released because the way NBC Sports paced or not sorry the Premier League paced these games. Yeah. I was trying to f- catch one of the three games around before it. I didn't even get to see the starting lineup because I thought the game started right after the you. Liverpool the Liverpool time zone game, time frame mm-hmm. games. I came into this game right as the pen, Holland was holding the ball ready to strike the penalty. Um, I didn't really get a good lay of what they were doing. Let's let's touch base since okay. that's that was that first first goal was that penalty. Do you think it was a penalty or do you think it was very uh, on the line of a penalty or not? So, like I said, I didn't get to come in. I didn't see the action that caused it. I was already after all the replays that come in. Yeah, Holland was ready. Hold, had the ball in his hand, put it on the ground, shot it, and then that's all they were concerned about on the TV. When I got to watch it at halftime, I don't think it was a penalty based off of what other referees let go. I mean, if he wants to call it a penalty, he can call it a penalty, but then Luton Town should be have lost their game 2 to 3 instead of 2 to 1, and Fulham probably should have lost their game to Brighton off of what they did if that's what a penalty is. Yeah. Um I just don't understand what the Premier League rules are anymore, no. man. Uh, you it, can dif- you can differentiate them in other leagues comfortably. But it seems like the Premier League and the way that the FA is run specifically in England, it, they, it's like they're making it more about them in this circumstance with how... Yeah. It, it's so hard to figure it out because like mm-hmm. even my brother who does not... He watches the games with me, not the biggest fan. He saw that in the, the Fulham game where one of the, the Fulham players just, just was dragging a Brighton player around yeah. by his shirt and pulling him by his hip and... In one of their like corner kicks or free kicks, because um, I was trying to jump between the games, try and catch everything because they wouldn't have the replays in time for us to to podcast today, and it just was like, it, you just depends on what referee you get and what how they interpret it. And it being this big of a game, even though I'm not sure the Manchester Derby is as big as it was, um, I wouldn't have given it if I was a referee. If I was on that pitch, I would have let him play out. I would have given Hoyland a yellow card of some or you no. Know, Game a quick talking to like you do something like that again you're getting a yellow and if it's bad enough you're getting a red you're on thin ice or something along those lines yeah and then holland ends up burying that penalty to oh. give them an early lead uh which sort of just 
destroy whatever plan Manchester yeah. United had. And and like I said before that, you know, there was windows of a possibility where United would have some some uh, some counterattacks. But man, I, I can't help but. Uh, there's just something wrong with with what I my instant reaction to when this starting lineup was released was with Diego Diego Dalot. He was playing basically right wing back, but mm-hmm. when they were in defense, it was almost like he was tucked in as a center yeah. back. And he and, didn't know what like the ball hit him at one point, and McGuire had to like frantically kick it out because yeah. he had headed it down. And he didn't seem like he knew 100 percent what his role was. Exactly, and what's also weird is they would have Bruno Fernandes drop in all the way back mm-hmm. to basically play right back against Jack Grealish, who I thought was one of the standouts for City, and also a great start from from Pep as well. Um, I. I don't understand what the tactic was from Ten Hag to to utilize it. Now, one piece of respect I do have for for United and what they did uh, was in terms of what they were doing offensively when they would counter. Uh, but it, what those they, four players shooting up the pitch to help each other out exactly to create an overload in the center. The issue is is they just weren't clinical enough in the final third to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, no. You continue, sir. I was just agreeing with you. I saw that too. Yeah, and I, I can't help but, but uh, see why Ten Hag would utilize Amrabat, especially in the first half, to play a little bit more centralized instead of using him more as what he was doing with him previously, where he would kind of tuck him in out at left back when when they were in defense, and then bring him back into the midfield when they were attacking, kind of like Arsenal does with Zinchenko. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just keeping him central, and that was creating issues for him because he was getting just overloaded. Yeah, yeah, he was getting cooked, and Foden, um, he, I saw it, he should, may have been, he probably could have had his chance to be sent off because Foden mm-hmm. got him with that yellow card where they both touch exactly at the same time. Exactly. I rewound it to make sure because I was like, is both yellow cards the good thing? Because usually it's aggressor against the card, but they just look like they were just going forehead to forehead at the exact same time. Do you think City were playing in third gear, or do you think they were honestly just playing comfortable in regards to, let's hold possession, we don't need to be as threatening and clinical because United are showing no threat to us? Do you think that was pretty much their game plan? Yeah, I've seen them do this against other teams. They were not at the level they had when they were just strangling Brighton last week at the first half. Now, ultimately, Brighton was able to do stuff in the second half once they brought in younger bodies to, to, to undo them, but... It looked like a worse version of what they were doing, or like a less la- a lax version. Like they were trying to smother out Brighton's offense yeah. in the first forty-five. They just looked like they were just kind of playing a training game. I honestly, I think third gear is a pretty apt assessment of what they had because what they had in what City did against Brighton reminded me of them being like a fourth fourth gear. Mm-hmm. What they were stuck in fourth gear with Arsenal, but they couldn't do anything. Um, but they weren't like a gear below that because they were trying to beat Arsenal into the last couple of minutes, and they were trying to just make Deserby's life a day not fun. But today it just seemed like they were just out there just going through the motions. I think that's the way to touch it is, is going through the motions because they knew that United yeah. were not too much of a threat. Now we jump into the second half, and uh, we see Amrabat because he had that early yellow come off for Mason Mount. What I find confusing is why you don't bring McDonald's, sorry, McTominay back a little bit into more of the midfield role next to Erickson and have Mount play the role that McTominay was playing. Because at Chelsea, non-biased, you know, I'm not going to say anything about Mason Mount's time at Chelsea, but this is what you what Mason Mount does is he is a pressing machine and he runs. 
And if you can get him into the final third, there's points where he can make the great final decision, unlike yeah. what McTominay did in the first half. Did you see anything from City or from United that had you, um, I guess, worried in, in, in regards to who would be actually playing on the front foot when that second half started? Nothing from City's side. Um, I don't remember if United made any substitutions, but it just, I don't know, it just seemed like they came in with a game plan that wasn't working, and he didn't have any way to tweak it to make it any better. Okay. For Ten Hag yeah. to do it. What are your thoughts on the second goal from Holland being left wide open? Like, basically, no one's covering him. Again, Bruno Fernandes getting exposed down that right uh, right flank again. What are your thoughts on that second goal? It was a pretty goal. Um, it just, I don't know how you miss Holland. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's like it, also in the first half, there was an opportunity as well where Holland had an open header right mm-hmm. in front of goal. Oh, oh that Onana save this was, was beautiful. It was probably Onana's best performance in the United shirt, at least from the Premier League uh, this season. Um, you know, he did exactly, he distributed the ball well. But again, I, I agree with you. How do you miss a six foot four Norwegian brute? who has scored 30-something goals last season. Who, when he's in the box, looks like he is something out of lore. Like, <laughs> exactly. the descriptions of the, the Roman legionnaires would say about the Germanic peoples. Like, he just, like, looks like a warrior just coming to, like, crush you. <laughs> and I couldn't, I, couldn't un- I couldn't understand how, again, we talked about this last week, Johnny Evans, Harry Maguire, and Lindelof were this defensive line, and he has Lindelof basically playing left wing back, which... Again, they they have they have injuries, which we have to understand. But yeah. there's just play something else, man. Like there's got to be another way where you can utilize. I, I don't know the guy's name, Hannibal Farrell or whatever the guy with the poofy hair. Oh yeah, United. Hannibal young, from uh, who played at Birmingham last yeah, year. Young player, great you know, player actually. Exactly. I got to see him play live. He's a phenomenal talent, and he always just seems to be on the bench. Him and Austin Trusty were. Two of the best players Birmingham had last year. Now they're both playing in the Premier League. But at least Trusty's getting minutes. Well, the thing but with Hannibal him, is like he plays a certain position, but why mm-hmm. not utilize him in a different area? I'm sure yeah. he would have been much more effective than Lindelof was attacking than uh, than what he would have been doing. Well, the other thing you bring if you bring in a Hannibal is you basically have a um, calm Bruno Fernandez, another player who can run across the pitch like that. I've seen this kid take the ball from the other box run it, pass it, and then run, sprint straight up to be able to head in the ball. I just don't understand how what the tactical uh, plan was for Ten Hag in terms of utilizing Lindelof. Now, uh, into the third goal, uh, Phil Foden, uh, basically, I don't even know how to word this. What, what were your thoughts on that third goal? For Grumpy Pat, Cat played really good today. Yeah. If you're going to call McDominay McDonald, I'm going to call Foden Grumpy Cat. <laughs> um, but he played a remarkable game. He psychologically outdid Amberbat, made him a non-factor, and he got into the score, the goal that basically just took away any doubt that, I mean, the City fans didn't stop singing after that goal. Yeah. It was just, the game was done. Manchester was demoralized at their home ground. It was, it was rough to watch. <laughs> and I just don't understand, 70 minutes in, Ten Hag has not changed his game plan. Why are you not, you at that point, if you're down 2-0, and this is before the Foden goal, you're down 2-0, you're not pressing. You're store. You're still playing reserved, as if you're wanting City to press you so you can play on the counter. Yeah, but you're not c- 
countering. Like, blood. your counter isn't working. It's 2 nil blood. It's 2 nil blood. <laughs> you have to do something, blood. You know, I, I, I can't understand why he just didn't change his game plan and just at least try to get you. Yeah. And then also with Rashford, this, this guy is just struggling in form. This is a totally different Rashford than what we've seen from last season. And that's the thing, like... <sighs> When Saka got nominated for the Ballon d'Or, a lot of people were saying, well, why not Rashford? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because consistently, like, if you look at the other players who were nominated for the Premier League, Holland consistently good most for the majority, like, the year. I can't think of any games where he didn't score a goal. Saka, when he was able to play, consistently contributed uh, to his team. Rashford, he scored a lot of goals, but he didn't really contribute to the team all the time. It was really from January to May where he was flourishing yeah. uh, at the time but yeah before that he, he did have some struggles as well yeah. and it's just like i think they need to start bringing in some some players um and we'll probably get into this i've actually just i'll get into the question we ask you in stoppage time uh but i'll save it for there but um i just i manchester united needs a refresh i mean are a real like they need a strategy they need to attack it like your team and my team are doing I think your team, Chelsea, is like a little bit further ahead on the rebuild than Manchester United. It seems like they've been rebuilding since Ferguson left. It's been almost a decade, over a decade maybe. Me personally, I do want to see a, a healthy United team back to see what Ten Hag, Ten Hag is planning with this group. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I agree. If nothing changes you, you just by like January... The, you just like the butcher. <laughs> if nothing changes by that, if they're still around 8th to 10th place by, by January, then yeah, most definitely they need believe, to make Did sense. you see the thing at the after game? I had to look this up because I thought they were lying to me. They have negative 5 goal difference. Exactly. They're ahead of Chelsea, and Chelsea have a positive goal difference. Mm-hmm. They're at negative 5. And that just goes to show how bad they have been playing this season. They're scraping by wins, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be really worried. Hero ball. Exactly. They've, been, they've been against the teams that aren't in the top eight. They've been playing hero ball. And we'll go over this in our next segment or a later segment uh, in the pod. But, man, if they if they don't get a result over Fulham and, and they if they drop more points, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit worried for, for Ten Hag and, and United at that time. I just don't even know what manager that we get to go replace him, though, because it's like I don't know if Spurs – have the back room that runs their club effectively with Daniel Levy, but they put in Postokaku. He asked for four players and rebuilt this team, but he had Basuma sitting on the shelf. Mm-hmm. I just don't know who you'd go get because an Emery would not work in the Man United situation. Emery needs a stable environment to operate. You can't just go get an Emery and hope he'd work because he didn't work at Arsenal when Arsenal was in shambles. You had to have somebody come in and bash down some walls and rebuild some stuff to make it work. Your team's going through that too, and I do think that Poch is a good manager. He's building a good squad. Um, I think they just got – well, we'll get into that later. Um, but I just don't know what manager you'd bring in. I, I don't even think it's down to the manager. I think there's just a deeper problem because Ten Hag has already went through – I think he's – from the start of his tenure, he has sold around 21 players. Mm-hmm. So he's still making that rebuild. But there's something unattractive about this rebuild that, I, like, for example, with Casemiro and Amrabat – and you have Erickson and Mason Mount and McDonald, McTominay, sorry, all these midfielders, yeah. but it's just not gelling yeah. together. Um, and then you like look at Liverpool, and he just basically ref- refreshed it, and now same, they're off to the races, man. Same like, with City. It's just yeah. rinse and repeat. Yeah. Uh, they have a solid system and a foundation. And Arsenal's trying to implement the same thing. You guys have done it at Chelsea with the midfielders you brought in. I mean, you have three amazing guys on the pitch right now, and then you have another guy who's just as – well. 
as good as Gallagher coming back from injury. So you have four really strong midfielders deep. Yeah, Ten Hag, we may have to start asking questions here over the next few weeks, depending on the type of performances we're seeing. But final thoughts on the United City game as a whole, Matt. If he doesn't get his act together by Thanksgiving, I think they need to sack him, bring in a manager for the January transfer window to get situated, know what he needs, give him a month to figure it out. Not an interim manager. They need to like let him know, like, hey, you need to get going on this. Uh, but actually on the derby, I don't. I think I misunderstood your question. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's um, okay. On the derby itself, um, it really made me sad because I became a fan the year Manchester City won the league. And Sir Alex Ferguson, basically, the next season, stole my favorite player at the time. Not stole, sorry. Courted uh, to come over to basically graft onto that team that lost on goal differential to say, we're not giving up this fight. We're going to take it to you. And I just don't see that fight anymore. Yeah. And it's it's really sad because even though, arguably, besides Tottenham, our, uh, Manchester United is the biggest rival to Arsenal, they just, they lost their factor, man. Their fear factor. They're just, they kind of just seem really drifting like Arsenal was um, at the, after Wenger left, or even before Wenger left. Are we being reactionary in this circumstance, or do you think maybe it's just one of those seasons where it's just not going their way and they'll be back next season? Or do you think there's a real plot, a real problem with this squad and the way it's formatted? You do make a good point because they did finish third last year. Um, and then Liverpool did have that season where they lost Van Dyke, where they weren't competitive, and then they immediately barely made Champions League and then immediately came back. Because the squad's they, not healthy. Yeah. You're right. It could just be the injuries. Um, but, like, let's take a like look at another team. Mm-hmm. Arsenal rotated five players out. They brought in five new players. They won their game handling. So, to exactly, I, I completely agree with you just on that point. United's summer transfer budgeting with this whole 120 million net spend we have to have, mm-hmm. it's it's almost killing them in yeah, a sense. It's, it's laughable. Like, if you want to be in the top six, other than Brighton, I think every team spent a lot of money. Yeah, even Villa. Yeah, or even your team, Chelsea. Even though they aren't in the dance right now, I think they will be in the dance next year. Once they start getting their players back from injury, um, they have a lot of good stuff going for them. I just... Even when they get these players back, I don't know if Man United's going to be there because it seemed to me like all season they've been playing hero ball. Yeah. Final thoughts on the Manchester City performance? It looked like they were going through the motions, and that's all I needed to do to win this this pivotal game. Pivotal game, and I have finger quotes up. I was going to say, if you guys, uh, we don't videotape yeah. anything, but yes, uh, Matt was throwing up the two deuces, the little <sighs> asterisks there. I just... <laughs> yeah, um, Manchester City did what they had to do, and they won the game. <laughs> we'll start to, uh, as as we usually say, we'll start to see this real city side here when and the calendar oh, yeah. calendar year starts next year. Um, but who you want to cover next? What's the next game you want to cover? Yeah, so going back to the Friday slate here, guys. Oh, of course. Uh, almost uh, forgot about oh. this game here. Yep. Uh, we have a very close contested. I have a lot of thoughts on this game as well. Uh, Tottenham, 2-1 win at Crystal Palace. What are your initial reactions? Uh, happy 500th uh, British game to our uh, friend Roy Hodgson. Yeah. Um, 
and I hate when they announce that these uh, pivotal, game, pivotal games are out because I always feel bad for the guy it's for because they always seem to get smacked. Yeah. He didn't get like knocked down, but he did get or knocked out, but he did get knocked down. Spurs just had a little too much quality in the end of for him. I think that's that's well said because I had a one-one draw on the cards as my prediction last week, and honestly, for example, on the XG. Uh, Looks like Tottenham had 0.99 XG. Crystal Palace had 0.56. So hmm. my 1-1 one, one draw wasn't way no, off the cards. I don't think your 1-1 one, one draw was way off. I mean, it, it, for most of the game, it seemed like it was. It was going to be a 1-1 one, one draw because they just didn't have... Because they played on Monday. What's also crazy, and I give a lot of credit to Roy Hodgson's and his performance because we expected a low block from Crystal Palace to play on the counter. And they looked like they... From what I was able to watch, they looked like they came out to fight. Exactly. And... and Spurs only had one shot on goal all game. That means their second goal was way off target. It was just an own goal from Anderson. This was really one oh, of those. That games. was that was painful to watch for him, man. Yeah, because he was just doing what you're supposed to do. It was really just one of those games where, you know, I think the best way to put it is if you're in a title race, these are the results that mean the most mm-hmm. to you. And when you get a scrappy win, it may have not been deserved. It may have not been a full three points. But it's a 2-1 at Palace. You take those three yep. points no matter how you can get them. And guys, if you're hearing any noises in the background, our third host has joined us, my dog Paco. So um, apologizes for any banging or scratching you hear in the background. <laughs> but um, Yeah, Matt, uh, Madison's magic and, and Sun again. Just yeah. one of the best. Uh, Sun just keeps on going. Yeah. He's and, the Energizer Bunny again. And, uh, you know, this is just... I know some of you guys may not care, but just being a former footy player myself, um, I really appreciated when Brendan Johnson uh, made the assist to Son, and immediately Son is pointing at Brendan Johnson because Brendan Johnson, this was, his, I think, his first time actually be, uh, I think this may have been his first goal or assist for the club, and I just felt like that was just um, you know, a really special moment. I, I really appreciate those things when, when a player just instantly recognizes uh, another player's first contribution to the team. But what do we? Who do we? Who do you want covering next? Matt, come close. Come close to me. All right. I'm depressed. All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, so we're talking Chelsea, Brentford. Next game here. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea zero to two at, uh, at home to Brentford. Um, looked like the same old Chelsea. This this is why I couldn't predict a win for us this last week because I know this team and I know <laughs> we are going to play a certain way where we dominate all game. We have a bunch of chances, but as usual, we're not clinical, and as usual, we make one small error, and it comes to kill us. Matt, go ahead. I just uh, the patron saint of this podcast, one of the two of them we've we have is uh, Mr. Tom, Mr. Thomas Bowley, and I really think he had his influence on this game with pulling the goalie to go try and uh, get the equalizer. Hey, turning we it got into- we, we got to do that, man. That, that, when you hit that moment in the game, you got to bring the goalie up, but. Um, so you slept through this whole game. I woke up to walk Paco and was trying to listen to it, but the problem is that I don't have a radio for it. I have to listen to it in my headphones on the NBC Sports app yeah. or Sling, one of the two of my own. forget which one I was on. Mm-hmm. And the game kept cutting out. I didn't know that until I got home that they had scored a goal, mm-hmm. that Brentford had scored a goal. Um, I just saw the the calamity at the end of the game, and then I realized that it was 2-0, not nil-nil. Just more miscommunication, kind of like it was much like the second Arsenal equalizer against us the week prior or last week. This time it was uh, Thiago Silva and Desasi having a miscommunication, and 
you know, it's just the little things. No Enzo Fernandez. Um, yeah, and him and uh, Mudrick were out, right? Yes. No, n- neither of them were playing. Now, I didn't see too much different with versus Enzo not being on the field versus he was. But, like, you can just tell that Enzo Fernandez being in the field gives them much more uh, solidification, yeah. you know, with Caicedo. Because Caicedo did not have a great performance either. He's your engine room. Like, I remember back when Emery was running Arsenal... Um, when Ramsey was out, you could see the team was different. Yeah, I see that same thing with you guys and Enzo. Yeah, um, he just seems to be like that guy who just pushes you in different directions. Guys, I'm gonna try my hardest not to vent on this pod, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the next game uh, respectfully. But Matt, come in close again. Okay, I'm still depressed. <laughs> uh, next game here, guys. My man, Bournemouth. 2-1 win at home to Burnley. My man, our role of the manager is, is something else. Matt, what were your instant reactions to that game? I was... I didn't want to draw. I wanted one of these two teams to get three it points. It was a six-pointer either yeah, way. Yeah, it was a six-pointer when it was, Saab was was drawing because I was it was on at the same time as Arsenal. I kept flipping back on my phone to it, just kind of checking the score. Um, I kind of hoped that Burnley would win, but, you know, hey, the better team of the 2-1. They both looked like they were actually playing a game of football and not just pack in the box to defend dude some beautiful goals in this game uh the first strike from burnley the volley oh my gosh man and then billing with almost a half fielder uh chip over the goalie, goalie i need to check and see if that first goal was a goalkeeper eric because it looked like he like just didn't even see it but yeah. he saw it he just couldn't do a thing yeah, he was caught too too far up and then um i i just company should have gotten maybe some decisioning his way var a var definitely stepped in and and uh had some dramatic entries as are as you know i said in the last yeah. uh united game i have very low confidence in the fa right now in the rules but because it should have been a 2-2 draw right it really should have uh it's unfortunate for company but in terms of the game itself i actually think bournemouth mm-hmm. deserved a win I'm very happy for Irola. I'm very high on this manager. You know, I, yeah. I really think in a year or two, this guy can actually be a top Premier League manager. And they have injured players that are going to make them better when they come back. Our boy Tyler Adams. Mm-hmm. Let's go. <laughs> uh, next game here. Absolute throttling. I'm happy you're happy, Matt. But, man, uh, Arsenal, Guys, 5-0 win to che- uh, Sheffield let me, United. Let me close. I'm not depressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really, I did kind of feel bad once the uh, the they got the penalty on this one because it just seemed like we were just pummeling Sheffield United, who were a phenomenal championship side last year. We were just pummeling them. Yeah, again, as we said, I believe in our first podcast, uh, first episode, I should say, uh, the Sheffield United team hasn't been backed, and if especially if you're playing against a, a special team like Arsenal is this season, then you pretty much stand no chance. The one, so there wasn't a lot to really talk about in this. It had Eddie Hattrick, but the one thing I did see was um, one of the players stomped Martinelli right before Eddie's first goal and gave Arteta a chance to have a water break with his team. I think tactically that was like the worst thing you could do because if you think back to the games during the pandemic where they had water breaks, Arteta uses those breaks to calibrate his team and tell them exactly everyone what he's seeing, what's going wrong. And then they just turned on the they, – they were kind of pushing that game at maybe 25 miles an hour and they jumped up to 35 for a few seconds and just 
got the goal, and then it was just the weight of the races after that. Much like the Manchester Derby, it just felt like Arsenal were just going through the motions, but a lot more clinical than what yeah. City were doing. Well, um, considering they were also kind of running, I don't want to say a like a B team, but like their A minus team. Yeah. Um, when 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 are they going to give uh, my boy Tommy Tommy Yasu a start, man? He has been in such good form the last two games. Uh, I feel like he deserves. When are some we sort playing of... Liverpool? We always trot him out for Liverpool. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one one quick shout out oh. to, to my boy Tommy Ball. I call him Tommy Ball. Tommy Yasu. Um, he posted after the game after his first goal with the club. Uh, he gave a shout out to his mom who passed away unfortunately last year. It just goes to show that that you know when you see a player going through struggles because he was not in the best of form no. last season, admittedly. There's more. There's more mm-hmm. to to bad form than just football itself. You know, um, we'll jump into the Liverpool yeah. game and Luis Diaz, but man, we we really got to be more uh, uh, less bloodthirsty exactly. towards the players because, exactly. like, with Emil Smith Rowe, mm-hmm. I think there's more going on because the guy hadn't played a game in 500 days. Like, started a match, battling injuries. He's battling injuries, and he might be battling depression of some kind. Exactly. I'm not actually as Emotional problems. I don't want to say depression. That's yeah. strong. Yeah. Um, because he started last season and was playing really well, and then he had to get a surgery. He was, if people may not remember, he was one of the best mm-hmm. Arsenal players on that team at one point. Now, you guys added some serious quality yeah. since then, and he needs to fight for his place back into that team. But, but he, I can, think he's doing it with a handicap, and I, I, I feel, because I, I don't know any Arsenal fans. I mean, your, your friend you always talk to is yeah. probably in the same boat as me. We all love Emil Smith Rowe. We love to sing the Sock and Emil Smith Rowe song. And, you know, piggybacking on that, man, is just like, I I don't want to jump on him. I just want to give those guys a hug. Uh, (laughs) Into the game itself. uh, In Ketia, I mean, he was just a star, man. What would you think of that third goal from outside the box, man? One of the, if that doesn't win Arsenal's goal of the month and is in contention for Premier League goal of the month, I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Like a, that, the goal of the month is just done for Arsenal. I don't think any goal compares to that, and they'd have to pull off something. Actually, you know what? November first is on Wednesday. Yeah. So unless something happens in the West Ham game, or no, the West Ham game is on Wednesday. So I don't think they can undo that. First goal and third goal for for Inketia were just special, and the second one was just a rocket up or ninety right in front of the right in front of the goalie there. I mean, that was just a proper hat trick from from a striker that you need uh, to be uh, ready to play because uh, especially it'll be good against a team like Sheffield. But when you maybe Jesus or Martinelli or or soccer are struggling in a game and, it, and it, it's a huge game, you need to bring on someone clinical. Inketia mm-hmm. needs to be in that form for the rest of the season. And also a shout out to we've already talked about earlier Austin Trusty. Former gunner, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. I like I was telling. I think I told you, I thought he was a Premier League player, just not a top six player. I think he sh- may want to leave Sheffield after this uh, season and stay in the Premier League. Looking at Roy Hodgson, could really use him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, team, they need help, man. Yeah. They need help. Well, who's uh, up next? Next game here, guys. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. I don't know why I said their full name. 2-2 Newcastle draw. Before we go into our GOAT, before we go into our Patron Saint, mm-hmm. as you say, mm-hmm. uh, I do want to give a shout-out to Neto. Uh, I don't know how serious yeah. that injury is, but the dude is a serious game-changer for this mm-hmm. team, and he is definitely destined to be at a bigger club in his future. I uh, really hope the injury is not too serious. I hope it's not either. Um, what I was going to say uh, before you start off on a sad note was I, I absolutely love this game. I yeah. came in late to this game. You were watching it from the beginning. 
until when I started watching it at like 35 minutes up until the point where Neto got hurt. It was one of my, it was an amazing game. It was back and forth. Everyone was in it. It was raining. Emotions were on everyone's sleeve. It was just a great game. It was by far the best game of the weekend. Bournemouth and Burnley was really good as well, but but yeah, this this was game was fantastic. I have a problem with this Newcastle team uh, defensively, and I think it's because their man Botman is out. He is their best center back that uh, Newcastle have, and he's been injured uh, for this season. Um, but man, I don't know if that's the difference maker. Where I what is this two three draws in a row now for Newcastle? Where are they from I at least think, tying back from the Champions yeah. League, including mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, they said the stat on NBC Sports that every time they play a Champions League game, they draw when they come back to the Premier League. And that's the thing with the, that's what I was kind of worried about Newcastle uh, in the summer was if they did not have enough depth, and we'll get into, to, for example, Tonali in a second, um, this was going to be an issue for them. And I think Eddie Howe may find himself struggling if they don't, if he isn't properly backed in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Tenali. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I really think Newcastle should have like hired a private investigator to go into this man's life before they signed him. Um, because th- how much did they pay for him? Was it like 60, 70 million? 70 to 80 million. Yeah. A little, you know, and to, to, to Nolly's respect, uh, I respect that he came out and admitted he had a problem. Uh, you don't really see that from, from players, especially they're always saying, you know, trying to find excuses as mm-hmm. to why they're betting. But he mentioned he had an actual Yeah, it wasn't problem. like Tony where he's like, I'm just betting on myself. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, but I'm with you, man. Like, he came from Italy. Betting, betting was in Italy. Yeah. You know, and Italy has cracked down on their betting for players. And now he's sold to Newcastle. It's a little... I think AC Milan... Yeah, like, were they suspected just, something? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was just like, what? why... like. I would always, like, hire a private investigator. Like, go see what's in the man's private life. If you run his financials, you're going to see what's going on. And maybe you should talk to him before you buy him. <laughs> uh, we can't move on. All right. We got to oh, talk, about- talk about our other patron saint of this podcast. He might be my favorite superhero, you know. <laughs> Hero Huang He Chan is just on a roll right now. I mean, he's- That equalizer was... Oh. Dude, it was beautiful. The cutback, and even the guy who I'm pulling up his uh, name right now, I, I completely ba- blanked it, but the run that he made uh, was fantastic to play Hwanky Chan, that ball who had that cutback. Um, and he name? stumbled in it and was able to recover and then score. Exactly. Like, it was Triore. I, I believe it was Triore, but man, uh, what a what a performance from, from Wolves especially. Yeah. Um, on the XG, for example, it showed they had 0.86 to, to Newcastle's 2.32. This is why you have to watch the game with your eyes because if you were watching the game with your eyes, you can def- definitely tell that the Wolves-Newcastle game was a deserved draw for both sides. Yeah. Um, I just was really sad that Neto got hurt. Yeah, um, I sure. I think that uh, Chan will be able to keep them going. I hope it's not too serious because I think I'm hoping it's just he'll be back in the late November. And to the people that listen to this podcast, yeah. maybe not the first day or, or you know, early in the week this is our initial reaction so we're not providing injury updates we yeah. don't see that information usually until yeah. monday or tuesday mm-hmm. when these players get scans for these uh for their mris uh, etc he just it looked like something popped um from somebody who has thrown out his as ted lasso says thrown out his butt muscle it looked like somebody who threw out their butt muscle um and it took me just a, well i was able to 
be active in life after four to five weeks, but I probably wasn't able to go back to the gym or, or field until like seven or eight. But I also didn't have personal trainers, you know, like massaging and scraping it and everything. So he might be faster than me. <laughs> One last thing on Wolves. Uh, and I know it sounds like we're, we're giving a lot of credit to Wolves, guys, but really this this was just showing how much Wolves, have, how far Wolves has come. Because two seasons ago, I was very high on Wolves because they had a solid defensive scheme uh, with their manager at their time ta- at that time with Jose Saw playing goalie, who's still their goalkeeper. Uh, now, last season with Lopetegui, I was very high on Wolves again. And when Lopetegui left and they replaced him with Gary O'Neill, I was like, man, what are you doing replacing him with Gary <laughs> O'Neill from Bournemouth? I will admit, I was completely wrong. This guy has this team in flying form, and he took over the job only a few days before the season started. So, uh, special shout-out to Gary O'Neill, especially. Yeah, it was good to see two English managers shaking hands after. Exactly. Even though Eddie Howe is not young, I think he's in the middle of the like They're the manager lifespan. Young for a manager, yeah. exactly. Um, and you don't really typically see that anymore. Usually it's the, the uh, I don't want to say foreign coaches, but it's foreign to English yeah. football. And it's good I mean, to see these two young managers. It's, it's Deitch, it's those two, and I can't, and Hodgson. I can't think of any more other English or Scottish or Welsh managers in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, just fantastic what, what, what we saw yesterday. Uh, jumping into today's slate, guys. Jumping off with a huge upset. West Ham at home to Everton. Everton pulling away with a 1-0 win. Deitch, masterclass. Matt, go ahead. That first half was painful to listen to <laughs> and painful to watch. I would have rather gone and got breakfast instead of having to munch on a cookie and a banana to get through these games because of the pacing of them. But in respect... This is the way Everton yeah. like to play. They like to make it unattractive. They want you. They want it to be a dirty game where Calvert Lewin played really good. That's what I was just about to jump into. Where his where you find one one possibility for your team and you just mm. have to make it count. Well, what's great is with this win today that if uh, they do get their twelve point point deduction, they'll be at negative two points and below Sheffield United. And as we talked about, I believe maybe last episode or the episode prior, this is what we've kind of been projecting to you guys is. Behind the scenes, this Everton team is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree with the twelve point reduction? So I think it was who's the gentleman that's on the Champions League podcast with uh, Thierry Henry, Michael Richards. No, he's the Carragher. Carragher. Okay. Carragher. He says that if the same punishment is levied against Manchester City, they'll be in the National League North um, below my York City football club. It will be hard for this team to get back into the Premier League. But what League I'm saying is if that's the standard for these infractions, I think it needs to be placed across the board. Um it's, it's crazy how City manages to continue getting... Well, I think uh, City has better lawyers. They, that's, that's exactly what I was about to say. It seems like City just managed to get away with these types of... Well, they haven't gotten away with it yet. The charges aren't dismissed. Yeah, but, but even it has been applied yet. Even a couple seasons ago, uh, I think it was 2019, this team was supposed to be having a financial breach. And next thing you know, they just get a summer transfer ban, which... Is nothing. It's like a slap on but the But then you're going to give Everton for roughly, if I understand it, the same charges... Um, basically pretty much relegation because if you knock them down the, the the 10 points they have and make even if you take away their 10 points and make them start from zero yep. I don't think they can recover it's unacceptable um, in my opinion what are your thoughts on the West Ham performance <sighs> they just didn't look like they came to play a Bowen tried to save him like he did last week and, and he just couldn't do anything they had a few few plays where Paqueta played in the nice little chip through ball but 
again, this is what I've what we've been saying is Deitch is such a good relegation manager mm-hmm. where he just plays such he has these deep defensive schemes. Or so Moyes fell into out. whatever trap it was set for him. Is what it looked like that V pyramid, man. It's it's a real it's a real defensive scheme that's hard to break down. Um, so. You know, shout out to Everton, but also we do apologize for for the possibilities of what's heading towards. So the we'll are we only have two games left, right? Forest, Liverpool, or Luton. Oh, two, two. You're right. Yeah, Luton. Let's do Luton so we can do Liverpool last. Luton versus Villa. Three. Oh, sorry. what's the third one? We also have Brighton, Fulham. But we'll oh, do, Brighton, Fulham. We'll gotcha. go down the order here. Uh, Villa at home win three one to Luton. Pretty dominant performance, yeah. but Luton got in a goal. Matt, was your reaction to the game? It looked like. Um, it was a good evening uh, for Emery, and I felt bad. It looked like a puppy getting kicked. <laughs> yeah. Um, Luton 12. had no chance in this game. I saw the goal. It just looked like it was created from chaos. Um, Villa had their, their foot on the neck, or however you want to call it, and it just a routine demolition by Aston Villa. 12 straight home wins for Villa. Um, just looking like one of the best teams in the Premier League right now. Um I was hoping for a draw. I was ready to come in saying up the Hatters, but yeah, no. <laughs> well, what's even crazier is with the amount of, like, with how good Villa are playing, they're still only in fifth place. So with that being said, if they continue this form, they're only four points off the top to be to be uh, respectful to them. But, man, if they continue this form, you can't help but think, man, they might be in this top four race, don't you think? I Yeah. I Just if Liverpool or Arsenal stumble... I or Spurs or City. I just don't think that those two might might not stumble. I think they have they're ready to slip in, slide into the DMs. <laughs> into the Brighton Fulham game, guys. Uh, one one draw. I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated at this Brighton team, Matt. Um, I was very high on them preseason, but to this point, I am growing frustrated at the way they've been playing. Again, they rotate the team. They do all these rotations, but it's not panning out, especially against a Fulham side that I'm very low on this season. Yeah. The, so I listen to a lot of some football podcasts, and somebody on the Arsenal Vision podcast had called out that says they're going to figure out Deserby football, and Deserby's going to have to react. I think Fulham figured out the switches he talks about in his interviews, where he had talked about how his team knows if A's not working to go to C or go to B, depending on what they're running into. Yeah. I think Fulham figured out the switches mm-hmm. and what to do. I don't know how they did it. I'd have to watch this game back without having to try to look at three other games at the exact same time and and realizing the Manchester Derby started and when I thought it started 30 minutes later. Um, but it just seemed to me like teams are figuring out um, Brighton. Well, and, and I completely agree with you. Um, but with how Fulham has been playing the last several they, they weeks. They shouldn't have been the ones to do it. I mean, City did it, but you expect it from City. This should have been a dominant Brighton win. This should uh, have been a 3-1. I think that was what I called it as. Exactly. <laughs> Especially with the form uh, Fulham have been in and with Brighton struggling as of recently. With But they had a tough schedule. I mean, they had Liverpool, uh, they, went, uh, they played City, and then they had Ajax in the group stage of the Champions League, who they beat. Then you come back to Fulham in the Premier League. We said this last week. Brighton needs to be focusing on winning the Premier League, or not the Champions League, or the IX, sorry, Europa League. Um, You need to get into Europe again so you can can continue to fund Mm -hmm. this team and build something with Deserby. Losing these games, or sorry, not losing, but it feels like a loss. Dropping points in these games is completely unacceptable. Where are Brighton at on the table right now? 
right now I think they, they're seventh. Seventh place, yeah. exactly. I just wasn't one hundred percent sure because I didn't know how the the Manchester United game shook everything up. Yeah. Last game here of the Sunday slate, guys. We already recapped, of course, the United and City game. Liverpool at home to, uh, to Nottingham Forest. Dominant win. 3-0 to Nottingham. But Matt... Or 3-0 to Liverpool. Sorry. 3-0 to Liverpool. But Matt, we should start with Luis Diaz. I have been to Colombia, and I never felt unsafe, but maybe it was just the where I was at. Mm-hmm. But the, his they got his mom back who was kidnapped and his dad at this game, he didn't play because his dad was still being held by somebody against his will. I, we don't know who did it, or at least I haven't been able to research because we had so much going on this morning. It's, 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 it's so sad, man. Um, you know, Reese James, uh, when he, uh, in the summer, two seasons ago, his house was broken into and he had his, his medals stolen from the champions league and, and the club world cup. But when you are being held ransom, or when you were get when people or your members of your family are getting kidnapped, and you're a football player trying to focus on your job, it's one of the the scariest. And and I go ahead. Well, you got to think about it too. Like the time zone difference. Colombia's on our time; they're mm-hmm. on California time. Mm-hmm. He's over in England, where it's already afternoon, and this has happened for him while he was asleep. Like I had a hard enough. I have a hard enough time communicating. Was my you guys know this. My mom is a very chatty person. Now that I've taught her how to use text. She's always sending me stuff. Always wanted to talk. And when I'm on trips in East, be East Coast or beyond, it becomes really hard because I will come. I will wake up to like 13 text messages from my mom, giving me restaurant recommendations, wanting to know what I've done, where I'm going. And in a crisis, that must freak you out. Like you're getting notifications that something's going on, and, and you, you just. You have you're you have to rest, and you have no control over yeah. it. You can't, and you can't be there with your family right away. You have to still have to fly over yeah. there, and because uh, from Phoenix to London, it a straight shot. It's a twelve hour flight. Columbia is going to be worse because you're also taking that distance between. Oh, and he's not even seven. in a major city, or his family's not even in one of the big airport hubs. He would have to travel from uh, one of the bigger cities to home. I mean, he's full day of transit at best. Luis, we're with you, man. We're praying for you. Uh, we hope uh, everything turns out okay, with, especially with your dad as well. Uh, into the Liverpool game itself, um, very one-sided, man. Uh, complete dominance from from this Liverpool team. And uh, shout-out to Jota when he scored. He held up a Luis Diaz shirt as well. Matt, where was your reaction to the game? I didn't get to watch this game. I just got to read the box score because I was trying to flip between the other two games and follow the Manchester Derby. Mm-hmm. It just it seemed like... Pool just went in there and just punched him in the mouth, and they never recovered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the XG, Nottingham Forest didn't even amount to a goal. Uh, 21 shots to nine. Nottingham Forest only had one on target, so not too much to say on this one, guys. It was just complete dominance. Um, well, that wraps us up for the games, though, right? Yes, sir. Let's take a break and get into next week. All right, Reese, we are back. Let's get into next week's preview. I'm going to start out with the first game, Saturday at 5.30 a.m. for us. It's Man United at Fulham at the Cottage. As we spoke about in the last segment. Um, I know you're, you're sad on those Fulham. Yeah, Fulham I'm not very high on. United in its terrible form. Um, I feel like it's going to be one of those games where, kind of like how Sheffield United and Manchester United was, where... United's not going to Manchester United's not going to play well, but they're going to win the game. Um, and I think with that, 
I think you and me are picking the same scoreline, too. I'm only going to give them a 1-0 win. I'm saying it's going to be a 2-1 to United. You think Fulham scores? I think Fulham will score. I think that they'll get a goal. Fulham will score. They'll freak out, and somebody like a Harry Maguire will lumber in and score a goal. (laughs) I think I agree with you now, but I'm going to stick with my 1-0 just for for the sake of the show. Uh, Jump into the next one. Next one we have up is the 8 a.m. slate is uh, West Ham at Brentford, a London derby. This might be one of those games where we don't know who's going to be the team on the front foot. My initial guess is that it is has it has to be West Ham because of the way Brentford play oh. on the front foot. Okay, not in terms of the result. Um, Brentford's a tough team, man. Uh, but they do play counterattacky, and man, and West Ham team has begun to play attacking a bit, football a little bit more front foot. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think it'll play into Brentford's hands, and that leads to my. Two to one to Brentford to the bees. Two one to the bees. Over the hammers. I am gonna squeeze this one in a close win. I'm gonna have an, a one zero win to the hammers. Okay. And then we have um, RIP for Bournemouth. Bournemouth at Manchester City. Off of this shellacking they give their local rivals. Then the, the South Coast team, one of them, comes up to to visit at their at the at the. <laughs> If you guys have been listening to our podcast for the last two weeks, you would know that I am very high on on, on Bournemouth manager, uh, even in the last segment in this in this Bournemouth team, Bournemouth team at points. Maybe maybe they make it a little bit of a of a competition, but no, I mean City's just in flying form. I have five to zero for City. Five zero. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna go with a three one to City. Oof. All right. Next up, we have Wolves at Sheffield United. I think this one's more dependent on a couple things. Uh, one, the status of Neto, I, f- I feel like, is going to be huge because, again, as we spoke in the last segment, he's been a difference maker. Um, Sheffield United did not look good at all, uh, obviously, against Arsenal, but that is a much higher quality team. But they look decent against Manchester United. I'm going to go with a 2-0 win to Wolves. Oh, I'm going a 3-1. Man, you got the goals for this week at this mm-hmm. upcoming fixtures. Okay, okay. What's All right, next up, same time frame, Palace, Crystal Palace at Burnley at Turf Moor. <laughs> this is going to be a close game. Um, I believe City, or not City, Palace uh, will play a lot more front-footed than they did against Spurs. I don't think they had much choice but to play more of a low block against Spurs because of the way Spurs have been playing. Um, but man, this game is going to be interesting. I'm going to go with a very close, again, 1-0 win to Palace. What about you, Matt? 1-0 to Burnley. Okay. Since it's at home. Man, you're, really, you're needing this Burnley team to get you a win, man. I, I want them to win. I Company tortured me when City became good. But I think he's a good coach, and I they bossed that championship. I was at a championship game last season, and they were just saying how amazing the, the, the two teams that Sheffield and Burnley were. Last year at at, at uh, Birmingham City, yeah. even the York fans, that people I met at one of the bars, were telling me like they were fans of that team. Of um, one of them was a Sheffield fan, and he was just saying how amazing Burnley played. They look like a Premier League team in the Championship, is what he said. But unfortunately, that's not panning out. <laughs> the only reason I'm going with a Palace win here is simply because of the youth of Burnley versus the experience of Palace and Roy Hodgson. Mm. I'm going with a proper Premier League experienced win for Palace. That's my only reason. Well, my boy Rob gets some time playing, Rob Holding. <laughs> um, next up, we have Brighton at Everton. 
again, um, Brighton not looking good, as we spoke about in the last segment. Everton getting a squeaky win against West Ham. I'm going to give Brighton one last opportunity for me to uh, bet in their favor. <laughs> Uh, because I do think when they play on the front foot and they don't have to be... They've been Swiss cheese defensively, basically. They've been easy to play through. Uh, attacking patterns have been very easy to get by them. Uh, I'm going to go with a 2-0 win to Brent, uh, Brighton because they are so good in the final third and playing against these low-block teams. What about you? I'm saying 2-0 to Brighton. Okay. Same score. I think that they'll undo Everton, but Calvert-Lewin does throw kind of a monkey wrench in what I was seeing after seeing him today. I made this prediction before the yesterday, before the Everton played their game against West Ham. If he can continue to pop up in pockets like he did uh, today, um, I could see it, it maybe being something like a 2-1, but I'm going to stick to my 2-0. Okay, I agree. Uh, same scoreline there. What's the next game for us? Arsenal at Newcastle. At the northern border. <laughs> and this is the game we will be having our special review on next week uh, that we usually do for the big games of the weekend. Uh, let's dive into this one a little bit, Matt, because uh, as an Arsenal fan, I'm sure you're especially excited for this game. Maybe not in a sense that you're playing against Newcastle. Well, but... we beat them at their ground when they have to play football in front of their home fans. Football to football, I think Arsenal is still a better team. Um, however, when they came to the Emirates last season, they just... It was a draw, man. No, they just didn't want to play. Well, and it feels like the last <laughs> two meetings, it's been very intense football because you guys both play with such high energy. This is going to be a fun game. Well, it comes back to that season where, two seasons ago, where they just mantled us when we just had to win. And we, if Fulham, our Spurs had lost, we were fighting for Champions League and they just annihilated us. They... Just Rams kept kicking it long, and they just kept shoving it back down our throats. And as an Arsenal fan, there are a lot of is a lot of bad feelings about that game. Like they had already finished their season, we were still fighting for something, just like your guys did when you had already locked up Champions League two seasons before that, and you just rubbed our faces in it at the uh, Europa League final. Uh, the Arsenal fans hold on to those grudges, but honestly, I don't. Because I just to kind of look at it, well, you're, you had a job, and you didn't do your job. They did their job. That's not, you know. Newcastle didn't play well um, against Wolves, or at least to the level that we expect from Newcastle. Um, Arsenal has been in flying form ever since. Uh, of course, they had a minor blip against Chelsea, but that was right after the international break. So they, to me, I give them a pass for that performance. But I think they had, didn't put the right team out to match what they were facing. Now that one, but I predict one zero to New Arsenal on this one. Bias or non-bias? No, I just think that's <laughs> that's it's gonna be. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, I think a big thing in this game will be down to the midfield. Joelington. Maybe there's a little bit of bias, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like a five percent. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's going to come down to the midfield for me. Uh, Bruno Gomes, Joelington, and Longstaff. Who I'm not very high on Longstaff, but he's been he's been good uh, for Newcastle this season. Versus Declan Rice. And then whoever they choose to pair Declan Rice with, because he, Arteta's mixing and matching mm-hmm. at this point. We don't really Cardi have... is still rumored to be out for two more weeks, so he has a choice between Jorginho, El Nenny, and Havertz. Okay. And Smith Rowe. And then and Odegaard. Sorry. All good. So, with that being said, who is your ideal midfield for, against a very high energy Newcastle team? Uh, I'd go with Havertz, um, in no particular Havertz, Rice, and Odegaard. Okay. But again, I read. I haven't had a chance to substantiate it if it was in his press conference or 
not apparently Odegaard may be injured too. Mm-hmm. So I just I don't know what team they're going to be able to field. I'd have to see what it's going to be. So who knows? Maybe I'll get it wrong and it'll just be the other way around. And when we hit our stoppage time segment, I'm going to ask you a mm-hmm. fooging question about mm-hmm. your Arsenal side. Gotcha. <laughs> What's the next game you're meant? All right. So now we're heading into um, the Sundays. We got Villa at Forest. I think this is pretty cut and dry. Unai Emery's having a good evening. Yeah. Um, 2-0 to the Villa. Again, Nottingham Forest, they have a little bit of sauce, a little bit of swagger to the They type. got the dog in them. Shout out Sorry. Matt, <laughs> shout, out Matt, shout out Matt Turner. Um, Sorry, I know that kind of bothers you a little bit, so I just keep doing it. <laughs> Forest, again, they, they have a little bit of, of patterns of play. Um but I'm with you, man. Villa is just in such good form at the moment. They do not look like they're going to be dropping any points as anytime soon as we've been talking about. I'm going to go with a, another comfortable 3-0 win to Villa. And this brings us up to the last game of the of the weekend. There was another game. Um, it's uh, Luton at Liverpool. I honestly think it's 4-0 to Liverpool. <laughs> My bad, guys. Really quickly, oh. Arsenal-Newcastle, my official prediction. I'm going to go with a... 1-1 one, one draw uh, to the Luton and Liverpool game. My bad on that. I forgot to oh, mention that. Gotcha. My bad. No, it's all good. Uh, I completely agree with you. Uh, Poor Luton. <laughs> we really want Luton to stay up just because of the story. You yeah. know, it's a very, like, fairy tale story uh, with these types of teams. But Liverpool in good form. 3-0 win recently. I'm expecting another dominant win. I'm going to go with a 3-0 win to Pools as well. All right. And so this is the next game up is the last game of the week, like the week cycle. It's Chelsea at Spurs. Um, so with Chelsea uh, in this game. So this is a Monday game. We're going to try and get together something for you guys so we don't are off weeks um, just to throw up um, on the pod. To for, feed. The, for the big games yeah. on the Monday mm-hmm. slate. Um, I really hope I'm able to talk about this without venting uh, that Monday. But Matt, this is going to be a proper derby in my opinion, kind of like the Arsenal-Chelsea game. I really think that this is going to be one of those games where it's going to be very back and oh, forth. What do you think? I think the you got I hope that you have uh, Basuma back. Or not Basuma, I'm sorry. Enzo, Enzo back. And Enzo, Enzo, sorry, I mixed up the players there. Enzo back because this Totten team has a very good engine room, and you guys need your good engine to deal with it. I'm predicting a 1-0 to Chelsea. Um, How much percentage of bias on this one? <laughs> well, no, no, no. Actually, there's no percentage of bias in this one. I think that Tottenham has been, a, to, to quote Arteta, fucking amazing. Uh, and I just am like, I just think that this Chelsea team has the physicality to give them a fight. Arsenal came in to play Chelsea like a metronome with uh, Jorginho, and it was wrong. When we got out our athletes... It became a fight, and I think you guys are going to do a fight, and I think you might be able to nick a one goal. I think one thing that plays a huge part into this, Matt, it's Pochettino coming back home. Yeah, that's um, Pochettino you know, going back to the team that made him a household name. Uh, you think the fans are going to chant his name at all, or you think they're going to be more on the booing side? Oh, no, I think they're going to boo him. Fair, fair. I mean, when I you think go to a London rival, you know. I think that they have found their new partner, and they are happy. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to get any respect. Are there any former Chelsea players on this? Are uh, the top full of Tottenham players on this Chelsea team? No, no, no. Okay. I I don't want to stall, but I I can't make a decision on this game because okay. of my bias. Uh, Why don't you just call I, it a zero-nil draw? What I am going to do, <laughs> what I am going to do, 
Because I think it's going to be a hard physical fight, and if it's raining, it's going to suck for yeah. them on the field. And and two things. I'm going to say two things. One, very interested to see what defense, uh, defensive line that this Chelsea team is going to field. And I'm very interested to see how uh, Bostokoglu pl- plans to utilize his attack again. Because Chelsea, as we've said, has been one of the best defensive Premier League teams this season. Mm-hmm. disregarding the Brentford game. Uh, I'm going to go with, unfortunately, a 1-0 win to Spurs because Chelsea just haven't been clinical enough for me to change my mind. Okay. Oh, just a note. I have in my notes for the games. I didn't have them when we were going over the games. The Your goalie, Sanchez, is an amazingly fast man to catch up to. And Buemo and Mope on that counterattack. He was on him. <laughs> he just couldn't get ahead of him. He's got to play rugby or something. That tackle yeah. was horrible for oh, yeah. him. Uh, but that wraps up the uh, match week there, guys. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back for the stoppage time segment. Yes, sir. All right, guys, we are back with stoppage time. But Reese wanted to follow up on some points he had on the previous section. I just want to clarify, you know, for any Chelsea fans that are also Chelsea fans like I am, you guys need to realize I am hurt when I have to say I believe Spurs are going to win this game. It's completely non-biased. If it was biased, I would most likely pick a Chelsea draw or win. But the reason is, is because this Chelsea team has not convinced me that they are going to score clinically on a weekly basis now we play well against big six teams like arsenal like liverpool but tottenham are a big six team right (laughs) right but tottenham are in the best form in the premier league so i think with just with that being said before we jump into the stoppage time segment that's why i had a one no one i just didn't get to i forgot to fully clarify for you guys no you're good man um so for my question yes sir i was thinking um well i thought this in the head before neto got hurt but this Wolves team seems like it's going to be primed to be have some sales uh, over the summer. Mm. Who do you think will go in for Chan and Neto? And who do you think will get them or be the best fit for them? Okay. That's a fantastic question. Uh, for Neto, kind of like Jota, I kind of see him in a Liverpool jersey when Sala leaves. Uh, I just feel like he's a perfect right-wing replacement. Uh, a little bit of a different profile. Because um, he's not as clinical in the final yeah. third. No one's as clinical as Sal is. But yeah, go ahead. I want him to go to Arsenal, but I think Neto is the best fit for him, is Liverpool. I don't think Arsenal's a bad fit for him. Not at all. But I think that, like you said, they're probably going to sell Sal this year and get the money out of him from the Saudi League. And they'll probably have to give all that to Wolves to get him. And the only reason I don't think it would be with Arsenal is because you guys are very stacked in that attacking room with Nketiah, with Trossard. Havertz can play in the front line as well. Uh, ESR at some points, you know, depending yeah. on, you know, the mood for Arteta. Um, what do you think of our patron saint, though? For Huang, <laughs> hmm, I, I don't know if, if he will be sold this summer. I think it's going to happen eventually. <laughs> but I... I Oh, man. Uh, I think I know who wants him. Let, let me ask you this. What is your pri- what, what would you value Huang at at this current moment? Would you say around the 40 to 50 range or a little bit higher or lower? I think if one of the big six teams comes into it for him, he's a $60 million player. Wow. Um, if another team in, like, say, Syria or Spain comes in for him, I think $40 million. Um, however, I do think that Manchester United, he will be on their radar. <laughs> And I don't want him to be because he is too 
good to go to that team. Huang is one of those players where he didn't fully turn up last season. Uh, we're really starting to see the real attacker that came from, I believe it was Leipzig. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. Leipzig. Uh, we're starting to see that Huang Chan that I was very He's one of the players who made the transfer from the Bundesliga. I, it's not as slim as a lot of people think it is. I mean, Sancho, example. Um, there's a couple of others that are escaping me right now. Um, Havertz, never fully matured. Who's that guy that you guys got with Havertz? Timo. Timo. Who was back at, Le- back at yeah. Leipzig. Who, is he doing good? Yeah, he's, he's doing fine. Okay. But this is the Bundesliga text. I'm joking. Gotcha. I'm joking. Um, back on Huang. Wolves are such a weird club. They're weirdly ran. They're poorly ran. But what they have made is smart signings mm-hmm. for these managers, even though about 89% of them are Portuguese. Well, that's... I, I Everyone says that. They only had four Portuguese players in their starting lineup. Okay. They had one in each line, though. But if you go historically over the last yeah. probably five years... Yeah, they're, they're, they're Benfica and uh, Porto 2.0. And and the reason for that is because Jorge Mendez is an agent who is a very well-known agent who basically runs Wolves, if you if you guys wanted to know, as an agent. Uh, I just don't see Huang or Wolves selling two of their three or four best players in one window because they've made such good signings where you can kind of see them maybe building on this foundation with Mateus Cunha, with Sasa, and now Huang. Well, so I do think that Manchester United is going to need, they're, they're going to need a Rashford replace. They need to redo their entire front line. You think Rashford's is, oh, sorry. You think it's about Rashford's time to, to head out after this season? Well, I would have some competition for him, and okay. I think one of those two guys would do it. Um, and unfortunately, I think that Manchester United has proven that they try to fix every problem with money. Mm-hmm. If you had an 80 to 100 million bid for Neto or Chan, I mean, if I'm Wolves, I would definitely take that. Okay. So with a buy, with, put a buyback clause in there for 40 million. And <laughs> you're at, you asked me which club. Yeah. So I'm going to give you the best club that I think he would fit in and the most likely destination mm-hmm. that I think it would actually work at. Tottenham Hotspur. That was my best choice for him would be Spurs. Because Richarlison has not been in the best mm-hmm. form. There's a Korean link up with, with Mr. Sonny, uh, Sonaldo, as the streets would like to call him. <laughs> um, I feel like that is a possible destination. If he were to be sold, I feel like that is a fantastic fit for Huang. But who do you think is going to go in for him? That's where I'm at. Like I, I, I think Arsenal will go in for Neto, and I think the Man United will go in for Chan. At least, make, at least make the overtures like, hey, what do you think? What do you value him at? Would you want to sell him? What is this can we for, talk? for either January or summer or just both? Just, I'm, I'm mainly doing it on the summer. I don't think Wolves will let him go yeah. in the in the January window. If he goes in January, one of those two guys is going. If Neto is able to play, I, I hate to say it, you could probably talk to me to paying $100 million for him. Neto is definitely going to be a big six player next season, or at least on a European type of club next season. I completely agree with you. For me, I need to see Huang Hee Chan a few more months to see if this is really just... We need Pep Guardiola to know his name. (laughs) Just to see if he is actually on just a streak right now or if he really is this consistent player that we can rely on on a weekly basis. So I'm going to give Huang a few more months. Matt. (laughs) Okay, what's my question? So Arteta has a fucking standard. He does. A huge fucking standard. Now, (laughs) you have David Raya... Who played a great ball to Martinelli on the weekend, by the way, who almost set up a goal for Saka. It was in the first yeah. half. And you have Aaron Ramsdale. 
Or you ask him whom I think the number one goalkeeper should not, be? Not, what, not, not necessarily. But what are your thoughts on two number one goalies being at a club? Now, let me set the stage for you. I used to play goalkeeper. I was in my high school varsity team from like sophomore year. I was like, dude, I'm that guy. You know, once these juniors and seniors leave, I'm going to be the starting varsity goalie. Well, turns out they left. Of course, they graduated high school. But my team actually recruited another player to compete with me. So we actually competed for the number one spot. Unfortunately, I lost out. I was more of a Ramsdale right now. Um, don't, don't, don't give me the savvy shit, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you is, do you think having two number one goalies would ruin confidence or actually build for good competition? Because the goalkeeper position is so heavily based on the confidence that you have uh, for that position. It is a weird position. Um, yeah. It's a lot different than a yeah. striker or yeah. a winger. Yeah. It's hard to say, man. I want to. I don't want to defer to the next week. I want to see where who starts the goalkeeper at the, the a cup game that matters. Yeah. We have West Ham coming up. I think Arteta should take this competition seriously now that Man City's gone. I don't think it should detract from the team winning it, winning the league, or going for the Champions League. But I think it's a trophy we should care about. And we should try to get through West Ham and see who we stack up against. Yeah, because for Arteta, like he would, he says that. I'm ba- I'm basing my goalkeepers yeah. based off who we're playing. Yet but we've you, seen Raya for three weeks. For th- no, for multiple games in a row. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's played like six or seven games in a row. I want to see Ramsdale be able to have a chance in it because I mean, the guy just had his kid. He had that horrible thing where they had the miscarriage. As an Arsenal fan, I fell in love with Ramsdale. I was one of the few people when they signed him from Sheffield who was like. No man, he's better than what we than Leno. Well, I yeah. I want I, like I think I've seen this guy chirp up people on the on the TV, and I was excited for him. And then, especially after the season he had last yeah, year, yeah. And we, you know, it's just like I think it is affecting Ramsdale's confidence because like Raya hasn't been perfect by any means, and I just I think that like you still have the ability to switch him. Mm-hmm. That's why I understand. I would have given. Ramsdale to start at uh, against uh, Sheffield this weekend, and if he's not doing what you want, you could always just switch him because you got five subs. Yep. And what's he like? He said in a press conference he was gonna do exactly. And what's even crazier? Sorry, I threw up ten to Matt yeah. because he was talking about ten subs as well yeah. uh, at a press conference. Um, yeah, my bad. No, it's I didn't. All good. It's all good. Now, the reason I ask is because. As we just just said, Ramsdale was one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League last season. Now, Raya is on loan, mm-hmm. technically. So, do you think... So, we the, don't get a 12-point deduction. Yeah, <laughs> do, you, do you think with Raya being on loan is the main reason he is being the starting goalkeeper for the first couple months? Could be. You could try it before you buy it. Yeah. But still, I mean, I mean, I guess there's no better time to test it out than the beginning of the season. Yeah. When you guys are going to be in Champions League knockout stages. Do you see Ryan? That's a really tough question. Like your initial question is really tough because yeah. I would, in the I don't want to say no games. Certain games don't matter, but this run here, and we have to get. We can't play. Arsenal cannot play Raya at Brentford, and Brentford's coming in November. Mm-hmm. So you have you're going to gonna have to play Ramsdale at least for a few games. I to would get definitely in. get some yep. some games in him and see what you got because you haven't played him. Like it's a different than playing in training that it is to play an actual game, because your friends are on the pitch with you. I mean, when I played in high school, I, you know, if I knew my buddy was having a bad day, I might 
I mean, I was a defender, but I would try to defend him more, better, yeah. or yeah. I would, you know, when I'm kicking the ball at him, I would, you know, maybe not, you know, not try to, try to give him some, some confidence. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those interesting questions because with Rams, he, he really is a special player, uh, but he does make mistakes like any other mm-hmm. goalkeeper does. Um, with Raya, he makes mistakes, but they're almost calculated mistakes that Arteta wants to take. Yeah, except for that against that Chelsea. <laughs> so, give me your hard on pause, hard on answer here. <laughs> Do you think it's better to have one number one goalie with a nice, you know, a back, a solidified backup, or would you rather have two number ones battling out? Who do you think? What do you think it should be? I'd rather have one solidified guy with. I agree. Somebody a little bit better than Matt Turner. I agree. I just don't know how you're gonna get that. I mean, the if you could get the dog in Matt Turner to play in goal, you might have a chance. <laughs> my, my my thing was, what was wrong with Matt Turner being a solidified backup, or was it more on Ramsdale that Arteta didn't have the confidence in? That I can't answer. Right. Um, I see that Matt Turner was trying to learn to play the way Arsenal played. They got a deal on him because they knew they could get more money for him. They were basically buying an asset to sell an asset. Yeah. Because um, they could get a good deal with the New England Revolution, bring him over, and then they showcase him, and then a team like Selling Forest, for yeah. they made five mil off him. Not a lot, but still, I mean, he turned ten into fifteen. It's investments, you know. Uh, it's 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 just really one of those interesting for, uh, uh, situations going on in football, in my opinion, right now. Because but our, like you yeah. said uh, earlier, Brighton rotates their goalkeeper too, mm-hmm. and it's not working great for them. Mm-hmm. And I just. To me, Ramsdale is a guy who, like, Needs is like a green, like comic book thing. He's kind of like a Green Lantern. He's got to have his willpower to his belief to be there. And, and I just don't know if you're just going to throw him in the Brentford game if he's going to do okay. And that's most goalkeepers across mm. the world. Like I said, from my perspective, mm. I was, you know, I lost confidence in myself because they brought in a competitor mm-hmm. uh, to, to compete with me for that number one spot. So, yeah, it's just one of those interesting things. Uh, I'm very excited to see when Arteta is making that change that he says he can yeah. swap him at any time. Just but the other thing, too, is, is like Arteta's still a young manager, and he had the Willian mistake. He said bringing Willian in, that they'll get back into Champions League, and it didn't work. Um, he's, guy, he's trying to change things up. I think he's trying to, like, I don't mean to use this out pep pep, but I yeah. think this might be... Like with Klopp, remember when everyone laughed at him when they brought in that um, throw-in coach? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's just they're, the, the top five is so tight that I think that everyone's trying to find any advantage they can. Think outside the box. Think outside, outside the box. Try another tactic. Go to another flank. Try something. And it's not – right now, it's, it's, I see it's a four-team title race. Four, 4.5 is I don't think Villa will be – in the title race, but I think they'll be could be a spoiler the for little horse. They they could be a spoiler for Spurs, Arsenal, or Liverpool. They could spoil mm-hmm. their their chances to to win it. Um, and I think it's just that kind of same thing. He's just trying something in order to try to get that little like point zero one percent edge that yeah. he didn't have last year. Gotcha. I agree. All right. Hey, you want to call it a week? Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to give us a, a, some feedback on our podcast. Uh, some five-star ratings are always uh, helpful to uh, reach a bigger audience. And if you want to shoot us some questions, the email will be in the uh, is in our show description as well as the uh, show notes. 
we look forward to the 443 podcast. We hope you guys do too. Um, and we will see you next week. And uh, praise be to Tom Boley and Mr. Chan. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>